Um, to, today we're wrapping up, like Mike said, this series, What Could Be. And this is week five of five. And we've just been lingering around that question, what could be if followers of Jesus just continued to say, yes, Lord. What could be if, if his church just recognized fully that God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine through his power that's at work within us? What could be if we unified together around the mission that he's called us to? What would that look like uh, globally? What would that look like locally? And so um, we, we started kind of on the most macro of levels. Week one is John kicked us off several weeks ago, and then we kind of zero in today as we, we wrap things up, but I think it'll be uh, important for us. Um, most of you know that Pastor John and his wife Cindy have been on this, this crazy journey of, of foster care and adoption for the last several years. And a couple of years ago, they said yes to uh, fostering two girls that were sisters. And so uh, they, they had these two girls come into their home. And for the last couple of years, uh, they were foster parents to them. Uh, then at the end of last year, the opportunity came for them to actually adopt those two little sisters as their own. And uh, they were all too happy to do so. And a bunch of our staff went over to the courthouse for the day that it all happened. And it was such an amazing moment to, to witness. And I'm so overjoyed just to watch John, as many of you in this church that have fostered or adopted, uh, just lead the way and really reflecting a whole lot of what, like, what Jesus is like uh, to, to kids. Uh, through foster care and adoption. And I love that. love that in John. And so they've got two biological daughters of their own and then now two adoptive daughters. And last week, John said, guess what? They called again and they said they've got another little girl and uh, th- she needs a foster home. Would you guys be willing to take her? And uh, already four on the plate, they said, of course. And so this last week, they took into their care another, uh, another little girl as a foster daughter for who knows how long. It could be a little while. It could be a long while. But they said yes. And uh, sitting with John later this week, he just said, you know what? The, the, the first night went okay with her. Uh, she doesn't talk. And uh, she just roams the whole house, just continues to roam from room to room to room, doesn't sit down, roams around, roams around, roams around. He said the second night um, was, was a lot more difficult. Um, he, he put her to bed, put her in the crib, and then uh, he went back into to his bedroom with Cindy. And like a lot of you parents know that there's that window that you've got when you put your kid to bed uh, when they're little, uh, they cry for a while sometimes. And a lot of times you can just let them kind of cry it out, cry themselves to sleep and they'll be good to go. And then there's other times where they continue to cry and, you know, it's going on too long. You can't just leave them there. This was one of those nights. And so John got back up after he knew this wasn't uh, something that he could just leave for a while. And he went into uh, the little girl's room and and knelt down outside of her crib and just started to comfort her uh, with some words. And she continued to cry and and she cried harder and harder. Actually, she pressed herself, he said, against the back wall of her crib as far away from him as as she could get. 
And he said it just broke his heart. And so he just was content to stay there and kneel and and just console her with words. And she continued to cry. And so he stood up and he walked over and reached in to pick her up. And she freaked completely out and she backed away further against the back wall of that crib away from him at that moment. And so he backed away from her. And as soon as he backed away from her, then she reached out for him. And so he came back to reach for her and she backed away from him against the crib and continued to scream and cry. And every time that he reached in for her, she backed away. And whenever he then backed away, she reached back out for him. And eventually looking at what this whole thing was playing out like he knew after this went on for 30, 40, 50 minutes, he knew that what she really needed is not what she was responding with. And so he walked over and despite her cries and despite her backing up, he just picked her up, scooped her up and wrapped her up in the most gentle and yet very much bear hug of a hug. And he held her and she cried and cried and cried, he said, until she cried herself to sleep in his arms. And he kind of shifted his weight and she started awake for just a moment. She looked up at him and then she looked down at her crib and she gestured to her crib. And so John laid her down in the crib and pulled the blanket up and she went right to sleep. And that image to me, I, just hearing him tell me that, I said, John, that I, one, I'm, I'm so thankful that there are people like you that and your family that are willing to say yes to kids in need like that. But also, I mean, is that not our story with our God? I mean, every single one of us in here. In that moment, what John was doing for that little girl, to me, is such a vivid, tangible picture of what our Heavenly Father does for every single one of us. And it's that thought that I I can't let go of since we chatted late this last week. And it's, it's what's kind of setting the tone and direction for where we're going this morning. My English major nerd brain spent a little too long wordsmithing this little thing here, but this is the thought. I I think we are all pick-me-up-but-stay-away sorts of people, and he is very much so a holds-us-close-and-waits-for-us God. Every single one of us in here are a pick-me-up God, but no, no, stay away sort of person. All of us at some season in our life, that was up. We, we, we want you, God. We need you, God. We, we need the rescue. We need what you've got. Please pick me up, Daddy. Oh, but, but, but not right now. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Oh, God, please forgive me. Please just hold me. Please let me know I'm not alone in this anymore. But oh, well, well no, wait, wait, I... I don't want to have to give that up for you to hold me. We're we're all these pick me up, but stay away sort of people. God, come on, come on, God, come on, come on. No, God, no, God. We're in this double bind of I want you. I don't want you. Right. 
And for some of you, that, that is something that happened two, three decades ago. Uh, for others of you, you're right in the midst of that struggle. Uh, for a lot of us, it's just the cycle that we're all on. We've got weeks or months where it's a whole lot more pick me up. And then there's weeks or months where it's a whole lot more. Stay away. Thank you very much. That's us. But God, on the other hand, is this holds us close and waits for us sort of God. And I love that about our God. He's the God that looks at us and looks at us in this double bind, looks at us wrestling with, I want you, I don't want you. And he'll be patient, but he will then initiate the move or he'll reach down, scoop us up. He'll take the first step and say, okay, you don't know what you need. I do. And so I'm going to hold you close. And I'm going to wait for you while you settle down. I'm going to hold you close and I'm going to wait for you to settle down and rest in my arms. He loves to wrap you up in his love and his forgiveness and his mercy and his strength. He loves to hold you close. He loves to remind you that, in fact, he is stronger than you. And his heart's desire is that you would just find the strength of those arms and just be so comfortable in resting in your relationship with him that you'd you'd fall asleep. That's our God. He's a hold this close and wait for us sort of God. He's got a heart for you. He's got a heart for everyone. And like Mike opened the service with that song that reminds us that God is a God to the fatherless. And He's got a heart for those that are marginalized and outcast and pushed out to the perimeters. He's got a heart for those that cannot care for or provide for themselves. He's a God of justice. He's a God of compassion. But what's more is that's who He is. And so once... Once we understand that that's very nature, God, that is part of his nature and his character, I believe then that as followers of his, then we should reflect the heart of our father who has scooped us up and held us close and been patient with us and gentle with us and caring with us. That if you truly sit in the arms of the Father, that it should be natural over time for us then to be holds us close and waits for you sort of people. You got people in your life that need you just to, they don't need you to fix them. They just need you to love them while God is about the business of fixing them. He just needs you to hold them close in relationship and compassion and grace. And just be gentle and patient while they wrestle through what it is to walk with God, but then at the same time not want God. We need to be those sorts of people. There's two Psalms that I want to just reinforce that with. And I'll just put them on screen for you. You don't need to turn there. But Psalm 72 It's a psalm of King David, and it's a psalm of old King David. Uh, This is a psalm where he's nearing the end of his life, and it's actually a psalm that he wrote as a prayer uh, for his son, Solomon. And so this is a 
a prayer psalm from a father to a son. It's also a prayer psalm from a king to a future king. And the words that he is praying over his son are also words that actually picture, uh, foreshadow our King Jesus, the King of all kings, as many of the Psalms do. And this is what David prayed and wrote for his son. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills, the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. In other words, we get that God's a God of justice. He's got a heart for those that are on the outs. And yet he wants us to play a part. He says, I'm that sort of God. I've got that sort of heart. Would you join me in having my heart for those sort of people? Would you be a tangible hands and feet of me to people that need to know what I'm like? What my heart is like. And while people and society and cultures treat them this way and that, would you followers of God represent me well? And being a God of justice and compassion and stepping up and contending for those who can't contend for themselves. And Psalm 82 puts it this way in verses 3 and 4. The psalmist Asaph here says, defend the weak and fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed, rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. And so again, the same thing, God's like this, he's saying, join me in this journey. Followers of Jesus, I mean Heights Church people, I mean all of those of you that consider yourself a Christian, that have a relationship with Jesus, it should show up in our heart for people of all types and in all journeys and in all struggles. It should show up. And there's so many needs in our community right here locally in our own community so many broken people, so many broken families, so many broken lives, so many challenges, so much baggage is just handed over from generation to generation to generation. And so many struggles that people don't deserve and yet they are encumbered by it anyway. And God's just saying, I, I, I hate all of that stuff. But I've given the world some hope and it's in a relationship with me who loves to hold people close and wait for them and i've given people my church i've given people other people that can hug them and direct them and provide for them and encourage them and talk to them would you be those sorts of people we can reflect Him. And we need it. We need it in a lot of ways. We need it in this foster care and adoption crisis. Colby sent me these statistics. As of today, over 19,000 kids are in out-of-home placements in the state of Arizona. The rate of children entering foster care is the 
third highest in the United States here in Arizona. 90% of kids coming into foster care are coming in due to neglect, which can include lack of child care or housing or food or substance abuse, where 10% are coming into foster care due to physical abuse, emotional harm, sexual abuse, or exploitation of a child. And I'm going to stop right there for just a minute. Just I want you to catch me on this, because in, in a community our size and in a church like ours, I I've, I've have to assume that there are so many of you in this room even this morning who are, are ones on the, the side of equation where you yourself have lost your kids. You're a, you're a biological parent or a biological grandparent. You're a family who knows firsthand what it's like to have, have had a rough season or some poor choices or... Who knows what happened? And you've had your kids taken from you. And I, I honestly, I can't, even, I can't even begin to imagine the pain that would, would come with that. Um, and the difficulty and the challenges. But what you need to hear, amongst several other things, is that the same holds us close, waits for you, God, is there for you. He's available for you. He loves you. He has a heart for you. You're not beyond His hold or His redemption or His reconciliation or His hope or His forgiveness. You are not. And neither are your children. God is a way better shepherd of His people than any of us are. And so your circumstances may be really difficult and you may even have had a part in getting to where things are and yet that doesn't have to be the end of the story for you or your kids. God can redeem all of that. About 50% of children are reunified with the biological parents. The other 50% will need permanent adoptive homes. These statistics can be overwhelming but here's one that I don't think actually is. There are over 120 children placed out of our county. In other words, right now, of the couple thousand foster kids in our county, uh, 120 of those will have to go out of our county because there aren't enough foster homes or families saying, yeah, I'll open up my home. 120. Okay, that, that in, a, in a church of 3,000, that, that is a number we can kick a dent in, if not fix altogether. Amen? That's something that if, if the Lord begins to stir in our hearts and move, then we, we can, and certainly if in partnering with the other churches in our community, then how much more so than just us, right? And so 120 foster kids, uh, orphans, was kids in struggle and distress that are going to be not just placed in a different home that will be a healthier situation for the time being, but completely another city and another county. We can stop that. That is something that we can have an immediate impact on. And we can reflect this God who holds us close and waits for us to kids that need to know 
that God is is like that. It turns out this whole thing is so core to our religion as as Christians. And if if you want to get to the heart of it, then turn with me in your Bible to the book of James. And if you need a Bible, raise a hand. We'll bring you one and then you can follow along. And then you can keep the Bible that they give you if you don't own your own Bible. James chapter 1, near the end of your Bible if you're not real familiar. And verses 26 and 27, and they're on screen this morning as well. James here, the, the brother of Jesus, and uh, by this point in his life, uh, influential in ministry and his walk with the Lord, Jesus is now not just this guy's brother, but it's this guy's Lord. And uh, James is a guy who, this book here, there's a lot of books of the Bible that unpack doctrine and whatnot. James isn't necessarily one of those uh, at the depth that a lot of the other ones are. But James is a amazing book of the Bible that just gives us what a legit follower of Jesus should look like. James unpacks an awful lot of this is actually what an authentic follower of Jesus looks like. This is what people who are faithfully following Christ should be and do. This is how it's going to show up in our lives. And throughout this book, he's unpacked that and he's zeroing in on it here that our our faith should be seen. It should be noticeable. It should set us apart at some point in in action. And so in verse 26, he says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. In other words, if your religion is all just talk and there is no walk, it is worthless. It's a waste of time. And uh, as followers of Jesus, we should not be wasting our time and and our, our faith in Christ should not be worthless. It should not just be religion for us isn't just uh, rallying around a system of beliefs. It isn't just we gather occasionally to sing some songs and listen to a message. Our, our religion is anchored in a relationship with Jesus and if you carry his thought all the way through the start of chapter two, verse one, you'll find out how James really defines religion is a belief or a faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that's central to our faith, our religion. It's a it's a belief. It's an anchoring into a relationship with the person and the work of glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And what he did for us on our behalf was something that we could not have done ourselves. And so we're saying, yes, Lord, we want you to sit in the driver's seat of our lives. And that's at the core of what it is to religiously be a Christian. It's to religiously allow Jesus to wrap us up in those arms. And rest in them. And, and not about be worthless in this. He's, he's going to go on to describe it a little bit more though in verse 27. He says, Religion that God our Father accepts 
as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And so the real core of what it means to, to, to have this amazing relationship with Jesus is twofold. One is that we are going to practically be compassionate to people. And two, we're going to have a pure life. We're going to pursue a pure life. Not one or the other. It's a both and. We're going to be practically compassionate people and we are going to pursue a pure life. Those are the two pieces to the equation. He says religion that our God finds most tasteful, most most pleasurable, that brings the biggest smile to his face. A religion that is founded in a relationship with our glorious Lord Jesus Christ that's pure and faultless before him. It starts with this practical compassion. It's going to be a heart thing and it's going to be a hand thing. It's going to translate to action. And in particular here, he says to orphans and widows in their distress. To those that for a number of reasons cannot provide for or care for themselves. He says, I'm going to care for them and provide for them and I'm often going to choose to do it through you. So, are you in? And, and if that's you, if you get to that place where you say, okay, I, I want to, I, I want to, I need to. It's the overflow of when I've been wrapped up by this Jesus, then I want to wrap others up in that same manner. I love that because, because that's who we should be and what we should be doing. But that takes selflessness, Right? I mean, this, this, if you talk to anybody that does foster care or adoption or that just works with kids in general that aren't their own, that takes selflessness and a whole lot of it. Any of you that are married here, you know all about selfishness because before you're married, you have no clue how selfish you are. I had no clue. I would have told you prior to getting married that I didn't think I was a very selfish guy. Not like arrogantly. I just didn't think of myself very selfishly. One month into, forget, one day into marriage. I realized just how disgusting a wretch of a selfish human being I, I am. I was. I was capable of being. Wait, I, I just worked all day and you want me to have a conversation now? I left the toilet seat. What? Are you kidding me? And, and it just grows. But God goes to work on you in the context of, and, and he works on your selfishness with your spouse. And, and it's a it's a miserable thing, but we need it. And that's why God gave marriage to you to make you miserable. And so, <laughs> but over time, it does do its work and it starts to work on you in this amazingly powerful way. And a year into marriage, I went, I'm not selfish at all anymore. And then God gave us our first child. And I realized I had huge, huge 
mountains of selfishness still. And I discovered that then children are just God's selfishness chisel that he puts in your life. Oh, Ron, you got Mount Everest of selfishness here. Here's your firstborn. Click, click, click. And it's just chipping these chunks away. I got to wipe what? You cut off your brother's what? I mean, it's awful. And I couldn't, I, I, I just wanted, that's all any man ever, they just want a nap. That's it. That, that's, we don't, we don't want glory. We don't want money. We just want a break. And mom's a hundred times more than that. And so you got it. You just, oh. I am so selfish. And if you get that in your marriage, and you get that with your own kids, then, then how much more so to say yes to kids that don't even belong to you, technically. Uh, that aren't even biologically yours. You think that's going to push the boundaries of your selfishness? And your comfort, you bet. Because there's a high likelihood that you will say yes to investing in the life of an orphan or a child in distress, and they may not love you back. And yet, when you say yes to that, that may be getting at the heart of why God finds this to be so pure and so faultless as an act of worship before Him. Because there really isn't at its core much in it for you. But it could be an absolute world changer for them. And that's why I think it just makes God smile so much. My dad did that for me. Um, ten years old. My dad became my dad. And a few years later, then he adopted me. And I took his last name. And, uh, he was my dad when he didn't have to be. And that modeled my heavenly dad in a way that I'd never experienced or seen before. And I stand as the hugest beneficiary of that selfless act. He knew how goofy I was. And he said, yes, anyway. And uh, that's huge. Well, this is an awful lot like the global missions that we talked about last week. Uh, the reality is only a small few of every hundred people will be called to go overseas for permanent or semi-permanent global missionary work. Only a few of every hundred people will be called to permanently go overseas. But every one of those hundred should be involved in global missions in some way, shape or form. And this is the same. The reality is only a few of every hundred of you will be called or able or equipped to be a foster parent or an adoptive parent for whatever reason. But every single one of us should be involved in God's heart for those in distress, 
for those that are marginalized, for those that cannot provide or care for themselves. Every single one of us have some part to play. So, so what's your part? I'm still trying to figure out for me and my family. I mean, right even now, this, this, this burden that comes with the, the preaching and teaching is it always starts with me. I always start my preparation with, okay, Lord, what am I supposed to be doing? What am I supposed to be learning? What do you need to chisel away on, on me first? And if I can't figure that out, and if I can't be in a position to, to back that up with my life, then somebody else needs to teach it, not, not me. Um, but I'm in a growth journey on it. Um, we've got uh, two boys that are eight and nine years old. And so if that was just them, we would be in a spot to engage this foster conversation at a different level. But the reality is we have a two-year-old baby girl at home that I'm also responsible for. And there's a, a protection and a health there for my own family at that crucial stage in life that I have to be mindful of. And you've got your own story, your own situation that you have to pray through and be wise about and invite God into the process. Over the years, we've sponsored a number of kids internationally through child sponsorship organizations and been a part of what God's doing in orphans throughout the world. It's the tip of the iceberg compared to like what John and Cindy are doing. But it's something that we've been able to do and be a part of. We had one that just aged out of the system. And so now we've got another one that we just started in Cambodia. And the first week of March, uh, my wife and two boys and I will be going to Cambodia for a week to visit him and do some other ministry there. Because it's an important part of what we need to be a part of in caring for, for orphans and globally what's, what's going on. But there's an awful lot here that even beyond that, that I can and should be a part of. And so here's just a handful of options for you as you begin to pray about, OK, Lord, what could be if we fill up all these organizations and we stand in the gap for kids or others that need help? And uh, here's a handful. You can be a part of big brothers and big sisters, and that becomes a real actual preventative layer in their journey. Um, some of those are in foster care. Some of them are in their own home, but they just need uh, someone to come alongside and invest in them. And that would be a, a great way to uh, be obedient to God's call and have this religion that's pure and faultless. Uh, just partnering in that way. You could become a CASA or be part of CASA for kids. CASA is a court-appointed special advocate. It's a volunteer that uh, is committed to a kid and really becomes one that follows them through the whole journey, often becomes the most constant person in that foster kid's life as they go from home to home and legal situation to legal situation. And you can be a part of that as a volunteer. Also, you could volunteer on the foster care review board. You could volunteer in local church ministries. Heights and other ministries have a number of really unique and diverse ministries uh, to foster care, foster families, to foster children. And uh, if one of them really piques your interest, then dive in. I don't care if it's here or some other church. Let's just all work together, which leads to the next thing here. We, we just got to wrap around these families in some way, shape or form. We have something called wraparound teams for uh, foster families and adoptive families where you, you can get about six to eight people, for example, would rally around John and Cindy as their wraparound team. 
And that would be their investment. And it would be primarily in John and Cindy to say, we know that you are pouring out at an extremely high rate. And so intentionally we have invested in pouring into you uh, at a high rate in prayer and providing any practical needs that you may have as foster parents. And so joining somebody's wraparound team would be big. Um, you, you could be a part of child care for events. There are a number of events that we put on or other churches put on for foster kids or foster families. And at those events, we need a disproportionate amount of, of child care. And so you go through the little background check and you dive in and you can bless people for three, four hours on an evening that need a break from uh, what they're doing day in and day out. You could uh, be trained as a respite volunteer. And for that, you've got to go through the same 13 weeks of training that a foster care parent would go through. But when you get approved at the end of that, you'd say, well, I can't invite a foster child into my home for months or a couple of years. But as a respite volunteer, you could be on somebody's short list that when they have a need and they need to get out of town for the weekend and get a much needed respite or break, then you are on approved list to watch their foster children just for the weekend so the parents can get a break. Um, you can certainly become foster parents. You can certainly become adoptive parents. But what I think all of us should be involved in, every single one of us can and should and to the highest level that I can, I would love to call every single one of us to be a church of prayer. This is so on my heart, more and more so um, than it ever has been before. And so applying it here, that's why you've got these cards on your seat. If you didn't get one in your seat and there's a bunch at the Welcome Center, you can pick one up before you go and then hang it up on your, on your uh, refrigerator or somewhere you'd see it often. And this is just a reminder of all the different things that you can be praying for. I'm so tired of prayer being this like bottom of the food chain sort of thing on our, well, I can't do anything real, so I'm just going to pray for you. That's stupid. Prayer is powerful. Prayer changes things. Prayer influences things. It, it connects you in a really intimate way with our Father. And, and then He floods through you in those moments. And so what could be if every single one of us are praying daily for all the different needs that are out there? But what could be if we were all one of us praying daily for the needs that are listed here? Take a look at just a handful of those needs. Just be praying first for 2020 vision so you can actually read how small it is. Be praying for the government workers and legislation as it relates to this issue. That God would put the right people in the right place and they'd make the right decisions. Be praying for DCS, Department of Child Safety, and licensing agency workers. Um, one, the stress load that they are under is absolutely ridiculous. And two, there's not enough of them. Be praying for churches to work together. Um, Unity, unity, unity. We're not against or competing. That makes me sick. We're going to work together. Biological parents. Be praying for biological parents that are going through this difficulty. Be praying for the foster families that 
have got their own set of challenges. Be praying for the children that are needing homes or being moved from home to home. Would you be praying for your personal insight on how you personally could help? And then maybe most important, would you just be praying for your own family? And that goes if you're an empty nester. It goes if you're a single person. It goes if you are uh, parents of young kids. It goes if you're a mixed, blended family. It goes if you um, were married and are. Be praying for your family. The enemy would like nothing more than to attack what is meant to be the biggest blessing and the biggest source of strength and the biggest representation of a holds us close and waits for us, God, our families should be that way. So pray that the enemy would stay far off of you and your family. And that your family, whether you are a single person or you're married or you're married with kids, that God would guide your heart into what part you might play in a religion that's pure and faultless. That yes, It's practically compassionate, but that it's also one that's living a pure life. It's just a reminder that this is a sin issue that we're facing. It's not a foster problem. It's not a parent problem. It's not a family problem. It's a sin problem. And every one of us need Jesus to help against that. And so would you allow him just to hold you close and trust that he'll wait for you while he holds you? And so, Father, we just ask that you would uh, step up for these kids that are in need. Step up through these foster families that are in need and these biological families and all these agencies and workers that are in need. We know that you have a huge heart for them. But like James will go on to say, it would be so silly for us to acknowledge that that's your heart and yes, there's a need and for us to sit back and do absolutely nothing. And so give us wisdom and insight into how and where we can play a part. It has to do with foster care and orphans and those needing adoption or supporting the people that are helping in that world move us that direction. If it has to do with any other needs in our community, Lord, we will continue to ask, what do you want us to do? We ask You to give us the strength to just say yes. We will stand in the gap and hold people close in a way that You would. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.